Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're talking about the COVID jab mandate for NHS staff. As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question or a suggestion for us... Tweet us using the hashtag MedicalMinefield or email health at mailonsunday.co.uk. After much debate and deliberation back in December, the government passed into law a mandate that all NHS workers who came into contact with patients would have to be fully vaccinated. And the deadline for that is now looming. In fact, it will be next Thursday that all staff working within the NHS who come into contact with members of the public will have needed to have their first dose. Unfortunately, there's different figures that are bandied around between 77 and 80,000 workers who still haven't had a single dose. Many people say that the mandate is absolutely vital. It's something we have reported on for a long time that people catch COVID, some of the most vulnerable people to COVID catch it in hospital. And unfortunately, many of them have died throughout this pandemic. The mandate is designed to protect them And also, I suppose, NHS workers from catching COVID from patients and having to spend time off, which is another huge cause of the stress and strain that the health service is Mm. under at the moment. However, there are many who say that the mandate is going to lead to a mass exodus of staff because people are going to refuse the jab. I've been interested because I've been writing about this this week. And what I found is that there are a huge number of health bosses who have come out actually against the mandate and are not in support of it at all. Really? Well, I think people will support it in a very kind of wishy-washy way, but no one is particularly in favour, I would say. I mean, we've talked about it for what feels like since the start of this podcast And it seems like a no-brainer. You know, they already have mandatory vaccination for Mm. certain sectors of healthcare workers, such as... Surgeons, isn't it? Well, surgeons have to be vaccinated against hepatitis B, and I think that's to protect them and, I guess, patients as well. But also people working on paediatric wards and lung wards have to be vaccinated against the flu, I believe. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's always been the argument when this was tabled from the beginning was, well, this is not new. It shouldn't be surprising that, of course, if you're working with vulnerable patients, you have to make sure that you're protecting yourself and therefore protecting them. The rail was ratched up a few notches at the beginning of January when NHS or sometime NHS, I believe, anaesthetist Steve James confronted the health secretary, Sajid Javid, and basically said there was no point to the mandate now because Omicron had changed everything, essentially. He said that the vaccine didn't prevent transmission and all it was going to do would alienate staff who decided not to be vaccinated and that there was no need for it anymore anyway because the vulnerable were vaccinated. We weren't seeing the same kinds of level of illness and death. And mm. his point has been echoed again and again by other healthcare workers, other doctors. I don't have a massive amount of sympathy with this. Their argument has been latched onto by anti-vaxxers who, and and I'm speaking from people that I know, uh, they've heard an NHS doctor say these things and it's been, oh, I told you, the vaccine doesn't work. Even the doctor says it. Even the doctor says it, the vaccine doesn't work. And of course, 
It's not true what he said. Well, it's a half-truth. I, I heard it referred to as Nirvana syndrome recently in the belief that something that isn't 100% perfect, absolutely bulletproof perfect, is absolutely useless. You're either 100% right or 100% wrong. And of course, mm. we know with the vaccine, it reduces transmission, even with Omicron, by a significant amount. Exactly. And it was never designed to be a completely, you know, fail-safe, 100% vaccine that was going to prevent all transmission. That was never the goal, I guess, um, because that's what we have with flu. It doesn't surprise me that NHS doctors saying these kinds of things is making headlines. I don't think their arguments particularly stand up in terms of why you wouldn't want to get vaccinated. Every little bit helps and it's doing your best to protect patients and your colleagues. I'm also really surprised by the number of anti-vax or vaccine-hesitant NHS staff who have decided all of a sudden now to come and speak their views and and are pictured all over websites and newspapers. And I sort of feel, you know, really? Are you willing to put yourself out there and say, I don't want to have the vaccine and I'm going to go to work the next day with a load of vulnerable patients? But of course they would say, well, the vaccine doesn't stop you catching COVID and infecting other people anyway. Which, as I said, is, is not true. Well, the difficulty here is that the legislation mandates two vaccinations. And the most recent data shows that, in fact, against the Omicron variant, two vaccines can be between zero and 20% protective Look, against I mean, infection. Th- I, I, I get that, but the, the law was passed in December. This story has moved very quickly. And, you know, we're talking about getting people with no jabs to one mm. by next Thursday. You've got to start somewhere. And obviously, as the definition of fully vaccinated changes to be three jabs, that will be the case for NHS workers. I do feel one of the voices that I do feel the voices that I felt weren't heard as much as as the doctors who were being very vocal was the patients. Mm. And last week, Dr. Ellie Cannon, our resident GP columnist, asked her readers what they thought about the mandate. And overwhelmingly, hundreds and hundreds of letters have poured in from from readers. And overwhelmingly, they say that they do support it. And a line came up again and again in the letters. Whatever happened to do no harm? The Hippocratic Oath. The Hippocratic Oath. It's a good question. You know, it's it's not really about the doctors and their wishes and, and all those kinds of things. It's about protecting the wider community within the NHS. And first of all, I think we should hear from someone who, who has a personal connection to this because catching COVID in hospital was responsible for the death of his father. On the line now is David Brown, who was one of the many readers who wrote in to tell us how they felt about the NHS COVID jab mandate. Um, David, your views were particularly fuelled by your experience with your father. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened to your dad? He he went into hospital and, and unfortunately contracted COVID. Is that right? Yeah, he did. He went in about a year ago um, and uh, he went in uh, having had a fall. So he went in for a fractured hip. Uh, they tested him. He's 92 years of age. They tested him on arrival and then daily, um, and he was negative on each occasion. He had his op on the first day, um, and then five, six days later, they phoned to say that he'd contracted COVID, and he subsequently died about five, six days later than that, mm-hmm. with coronavirus cited as the main cause of death and also some underlying health conditions which he had. Gosh. And I know we can't be sure how he contracted the virus, but I guess you kind of come to your own conclusions given that he was in hospital and he was tested negative when he arrived and then 
consequently tested positive. Indeed. I mean, he lived in sheltered accommodation. He was not very mobile. In fact, he was pretty much immobile. He hadn't been vaccinated and he had carers in four times a day and he felt safe and secure in his living environment. Um, he's got three sons and uh, wives that are looking after him as well. And he felt safe and secure. And he hadn't been vaccinated because at that time they'd only just started notifying his age group. And uh, unfortunately, the, the invitation he got was to have some race calls. And due to his mobility and his incontinence, we couldn't get into the absence of awaiting a house call. Mm. And so when you heard about the vaccine mandate, did that make you feel reassured that this isn't going to happen again or, or it's certainly going to happen a lot less often that people are going to have to go through what your father sadly went through? Obviously, we, we weren't aware whether uh, the medical profession were vaccinated or not at that time, but we assumed they, they, they would be vaccinated along with the rest of us. Obviously, we feel uh, we don't feel bitter about my father's uh, sad loss. We have a lot of respect for the NHS and the people who work in it. But clearly, uh, having vaccinated personnel working in hospitals uh, makes it a much secure and safer uh, environment for those people that are going in for their operations, particularly if they're very old and vulnerable. Mm. You mentioned in your letter, I was interested to read the the principle of do no harm. Is that something that you, you obviously expected would happen when your dad went into hospital, that he would be cared for and that he certainly wouldn't come out sicker than he, he did when he went in? Yes, indeed. I mean, I think, you know, I'm potentially taking do no harm out of context, but I certainly believe that that's the first thing that... Um, the medical profession think about and if they're not vaccinated then clearly they present a risk to people that are going into hospital and I don't think that's, that's fair on the people that are going and expect to be treated safely. David I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. There are many people who argue that the mandate is no longer necessary now that even all older people have been vaccinated and the, the threat of the Omicron variant is clearly less even in old people's homes, home managers are saying that they are having outbreaks and no one dies anymore. The reason that people are concerned about the mandate is they're saying that many staff will leave because they'll continue to refuse to have the jab. Do you think in light of those two things, you would change your mind about the mandate? I think, first of all, if, if the government's view is that people should still be vaccinated, whether it's a, a less volatile disease or not, then that should fall on all members of the population. Clearly, nobody wants to see anybody in the NHS or indeed care facilities leave. I note already that there are comments allegedly from uh, the Minister of Health that uh, maybe we could loosen up the arrangements. I wouldn't want to see 12,000 people who have many days leave the NHS because of vaccination, but I think they really have to come to terms with their own conscience as to whether they're operating in a safe environment on behalf of the people they're treating. Absolutely. Mm. Well, there'll be many, many people who agree with you. David, thank you so much for spending the time talking to us this afternoon. It's a pleasure. Thanks for the call. Thank you very much. So the letters surprised me because... I was expecting 100% of people in support mm. of the mandate, but it wasn't. A, there was a, a, a sizable minority. I'd say probably a quarter, maybe a fifth of the letters we've received so far, and there's been hundreds and hundreds of these, have said that they don't support it. A few of these people have had extre- what I'd say ex- extreme views. They, you, you sort of get an antenna for them when they start talking about non-fact-based views. <laughs> I think. Nuremberg and yeah. <laughs> experimental experimental mm. gene therapies and such like and it's all that rot 
But many of them had got relatives maybe that worked in the NHS and that had had bad experiences with the Mm. vaccine, uh, maybe had one dose and had had a reaction, didn't feel Mm. very well. And these people were now facing a situation where if they didn't have a jab, they really didn't want to have, they would essentially be losing their job. And it's hard not to sympathise with that point of view you know, it, it shouldn't be a situation where people are being forced out. I think the most interesting thing was that there was a significant proportion of letters from people who said, I don't agree that NHS workers should be forced to have the jab, yet I've had all three of my vaccines happily. But well, I, I noticed that theme in, in a few of the mm. uh, the letters of people who didn't agree. And, and many of them were pointing out sort of inconvenient truths, I guess. The fact that, yes, the vaccine isn't perfect and were questioning whether it was necessary right now which is a very legitimate question. Absolutely. Well, look, let's hear from, I think, one of the more surprising voices in this debate. Last week, the Royal College of General Practitioners came out against the mandate. And we're joined now by Professor Martin Marshall, who is chair of the Royal College of General Practitioners Council. Thanks very much, Martin, for finding time to talk to us. Few people have done as much in the healthcare sector as GPs for our vaccination rollout. It arguably would not have happened without GPs pulling out all the stops to get everyone jabbed and, and protect Britain. And it's turned the corner in, in the entire pandemic. It's, it's been our way out. And the reason we're in the situation we are now... So it surprised me when I read that the Royal College of General Practitioners was not in support of the NHS vaccine mandate. And I wonder if you could explain to me why. Yes, of course. So you're absolutely right. General Practice has made a massive contribution to the national vaccination effort. Probably 75% of uh, vaccines in the first phase of the vaccination programme and not far off 70% of the booster vaccinations were delivered by GPs. So I think that's great. It it was predicted to be good because GPs are used to delivering uh, vaccinations and we've got a lot of public trust. So as a bunch of professionals, we're strongly, strongly supportive of vaccination. We think it's the right thing to do. We think that vaccination in particular for health and care staff is very important. It's the best protection that you can have, both in terms of protecting yourself against a serious illness and protecting communities against uh, transmission. So why not support the mandate? We understand why the public wanted mandatory vaccination of health professionals, but we don't believe that it's the best approach to improving the level of vaccination. And in in saying that, we're in line with other professional bodies, particularly other medical professional bodies. We think that making decisions about medical interventions like vaccination or other things, you know, medication for high blood pressure or surgical procedures are best done through informed choice. And if people have doubts about it, having given them information, the best thing to do is to have conversations with them, not to force them into doing it, because that's much less likely to build the trust that's necessary when you're using uh, medical interventions. So one of our concerns was about the risk that making something mandatory isn't going to achieve the aims and is just going to produce bad trust. The main problem that we had, though, was a very practical one, which is that we can't afford to reduce the size of the workforce in the healthcare sector. And that's the case across all sectors in healthcare, but particularly in general practice. And if you shut out people who, for whatever reason, are not willing to have vaccination, stop them delivering care, then that's going to impact um, seriously on the care that we're able to offer to patients. Are there GPs who don't want to be jabbed? 
Not many. The uptake rate amongst um, all clinical staff, particularly GPs, is actually very high. We haven't got good figures in general practice. I think there's better figures in the hospital sector, but we don't have staff records in general practice, so it's difficult to determine exactly how many. But our estimate, we're told that around about 75,000 healthcare workers haven't been vaccinated across the whole of the NHS. That relates to about 5 or 6% of the total workforce. And our suspicion is that's probably about the same vigour in general practice as it, as it is in, in hospitals. What we do know is there are some organisations that are affected far more than that. Maybe even 10% of their staff have not been vaccinated and they can't afford to lose them. But are these support staff then, not rather than doctors and nurses? It does look like that way. I think most clinicians have made an informed choice that being vaccinated is absolutely the right thing to do. It's not so easy persuading support staff. I work, for example, in an inner city practice in in East London. Uh, We've got a large uh, number of young women who are doing a brilliant job as part of our administrative staff. And they're much more anxious about getting vaccinated than clinicians are. And we can't afford to lose administrative staff any more than we can afford to lose clinicians. And you talk about persuasion. I mean, this is this is something that's come up time and again. And, and it was a conversation that was had before the care home worker mandate came in. The conversation really and persuasion, gentle persuasion or, or whatever, it, it clearly hasn't been working. And now, you know, two years into the pandemic, a line has been drawn Are you saying that we should just forget about the mandate entirely? Well, I I don't agree that it hasn't been working, actually, because, um, you know, our our persuasion, a lot of people voluntarily came forward very actively and very enthusiastically. Then you kind of start hitting a a wall and, and it's more difficult to persuade people. But the approaches that we've used across the NHS have increased the levels of vaccination to levels that are compatible with or better than most comparable countries, certainly certainly in Europe. So actually, I think I think persuasion and encouraging informed choice has actually worked very effectively. There is this small group, a significant group in terms of the size of the workforce and provision of clinical care, but it's a small group that are more difficult, which, which just require more persuasion, it seems to me. So our view is that the deadline, as the deadline for mandatory vaccination comes closer and closer, and the risks of not having an adequate workforce to deliver care for patients, and the consequences of that for access for patient safety and for effectiveness of care become more and more realised that uh, government will realise that and will delay the implementation of the deadline. Doctors and senior medical figures speaking out against the vaccine mandate have become celebrated by anti-vaxxers for being freedom fighters and heroes. Do you not fear that it's sending out a message that people don't need to be vaccinated in some way that that it confirms their reservations about the whole programme itself? If doctors refuse it, why should I do it? Well, if, if that's real, then yes, it concerns me greatly. This is not about anti-vaccination. I say again, we as a professional body, a medical royal college, and all other royal colleges and professional bodies are strongly, strongly in favour of vaccination. It's the right thing to do. There's a very big difference between wondering about the implications of mandating vaccination for all staff and being an anti-vaxxer. There's a massive difference there. So is it possibly in the future or never for mandatory vaccination in the NHS? 
I think that needs to be thought through. You know, we, we think that, that rushing this through at a time when the workforce challenges in the NHS, across the NHS, particularly in general practice, are so significant when we have a small workforce anyway and there are many vacancies uh, made worse, of course, by things like isolation by the infection itself, then actually now is the right time to delay implementation. If it has to be implemented, and that's, that's, a, you know, that's a decision for politicians, it's, it's, it's about legislation, then let's implement it at a time when we're better placed uh, to be able to implement it. Whether it should be implemented at all, that's a political decision. It's not a professional decision. The legislation allows for some redeployment, um, perhaps even in you know moving some staff to other organisations or other areas still working within the NHS, but so that they're not patient-facing. Does that not solve the problems that you're worried about? Well, I think that's more likely to solve the problems in in large organisations like hospitals, where you've got a a large uh, staff group and more opportunities for them to work in different parts of the organisation. It's much less of a a solution in small organisations like uh, general practice, where there's a smaller number of staff, much less flexibility in putting them elsewhere in the in the system. The one good thing about general practice is that, of course, the provision of remote care um, over the telephone or on video is more common in general practice in it than it was uh, pre-pandemic. So there is an opportunity to deliver remote care rather than deliver face-to-face care. I don't think that's a long-term uh, solution because all clinicians should be delivering both uh, face-to-face care and remote care, but it might just be a short-term solution. We asked our readers what they thought of the vaccine mandate and letters poured in. One point that was made by quite a few people, or I suppose one opinion that was was aired, was although it might make life difficult in the short term, that the NHS would be better off without people who would not toe the line with something like this. And they raised, I think, a quite reasonable question saying, what does it say about their wider professional judgment and conduct if they won't have the vaccine that everyone else everyone else has had do you think they have a point you know is there a place in the nhs ultimately for people who refuse vaccination well i think that's a really interesting question i am concerned about those individuals that don't want to get vaccinated who don't have a good reason for doing so you know like for example a medical exemption i worry about their understanding of the science you could certainly question that because I think the vast majority of people believe the science is very clear about the benefits of, of vaccination. I don't know the answer to your question about whether in the longer term the NHS would be better for having a group of clinicians who understand and adhere to science. I guess you could argue that's certainly the case. Our problem right now is the short term. It's, it's about having a workforce to deliver care for patients. And if you were to balance the risks of being looked after by an unprotected clinician, a clinician who hasn't been vaccinated against the risks of having no clinician, it seems to me to be a very easy and clear decision. We need to maintain the size of the workforce, a workforce which even now is inadequate and would be even more inadequate if we were to lose 75,000 people from the workforce. That seems to me to be a very clear and easy decision to make. As ever, Professor Martin Marshall, you've been a voice of reason in in the debate. Thanks very much for finding time to talk to us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for interviewing me. Hi. 
Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. I have to say, I wouldn't like to be the one making a decision on this. Something that Professor Marshall pointed out was that this policy is incredibly popular with the public. And so, you know, on one hand, the government, who are under fire, let's say, at the Mm. moment, you know, have this decision to make. Do they do a U-turn on a policy that's incredibly popular in order to stop this supposed exodus from the NHS or not? You've made an interesting point in the past about the idea of an exodus, that you think that actually... When it comes to it, people will well, have the jab. It's a difficult one. Looking at a lot of the studies from other countries where they have put mandates in place, you see before this big flurry of panic, a bit like what we see here, that we're going to see hundreds of thousands of staff walk out and no one's going to get their jab and then you know we're going to be absolutely left in dire straits with no staff. And that just doesn't happen. You see, for instance, in New York, there was a mandate and in France as well. Um, and there was big worries about the number of staff they were going to lose and, and it ended up being a very small proportion. And in, in New York's required all kinds of public workers to have a jab, hasn't Yeah, it? The, the most interesting studies were in the police force and there was huge worries about the number of officers that they were going to retain after the jab mandate came into, into action. And, and actually, you know, they lost very, very few. So I think that we, we're not 100% sure because obviously you have to be quite um, careful about making these direct comparisons between the UK and other countries because obviously we have different cultures, etc. And I believe that the care worker, the mandate for care workers came into force a couple of months ago. And I think that there has been quite a significant number of staff who, who have left because they Do haven't Do we have actually have a figure on that at all? I think it's difficult to record concrete figures because there's so many different care workers working in different settings across the country. Mm. But I certainly know that care home providers have reported that it's been a struggle and they have lost quite a significant number of staff. But reading the kind of um, details and the guidance for NHS trusts of this NHS healthcare worker mandate, it's interesting to see that there are options. So you can apply for exemptions. You can also redeploy staff. So Professor Marshall was saying that that might be difficult, but certainly in hospital trusts, you know, there's talk of being able to redeploy somebody to work in a different building even. So I am cautiously we put them optimistic. all in a porter cabin, couldn't we? Yes, Barney, we could put them all <laughs> all in one room, close the curtains, lock the windows. Uh, Professor Marshall was very diplomatic mm. about this, but what do you think? Do you think there is a place... Uh, OK, I get that there are... I, I feel sympathetic, believe it or not, when I read the reader's letters saying that there's a relative who had a terrible time with a vaccine and they don't think it's right, that they should feel forced to have another one, etc. I, I get that. Mm. But there are the... Tim Foyle hat brigade. Yeah. Is there a place in the NHS for these people? I don't think that there is a place for anyone working in a health service with where they are delivering evidence-based medicine to vulnerable patients for people who don't believe in science or clearly have an alternative view on the accepted science, is my opinion. Well, I think that's absolutely fair enough. A cull of the Karens. A coal of the Karens, a coal of the anti-science Karens, maybe. Yeah. 
And the NHS would be a, perhaps a better better place without them. Where would they go? I don't know. We'd have a bit of a recruitment drive on our hands, I would have thought. <laughs> uh, you know, I worked as a, as a GP's receptionist. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. I worked as a GP's receptionist and then I worked as a PA in a hospital for a palliative care department in my 20s when I was uh, struggling to get commissions as a freelance journalist. Wow, so you're, well, you know all about your, your former NHS colleagues and their opinions on vaccines? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, it really surprised me, the doctors. It, you know, mm. the doctors coming out. I think it was utterly irresponsible of, of the way that they framed all of that. It's perfectly capable to, to, to make such a point, as Professor Martin Marshall did, mm. without calling into question the entire validity of vaccination and on television throwing in a few full on mm. vaccine myths as well, for good measure. And kind of putting yourself up as somewhat of a poster boy for vaccine hesitancy in the medical community. Oh, what was he trying to do? Just get famous, I guess. Uh, Apparently not... he has a big private practice. <laughs> That's non-surprising. I must admit, though, although obviously vaccination is a very serious kind of area of medicine to be anti or to have non-traditional views about, there has been in the past these kinds of anti-science or certainly non-evidence-based views among doctors and nurses about food and nutrition and exercise and lifestyle oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, doctors and can be crazy. That has, <laughs> Yeah, and that's riled me up for a number of years. And I see this as exactly the same thing, really. And, and no one seemed to ever take notice me when I was talking about, you know, a nurse who told me that you should, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Stone a medical yourself. qualification is, is no uh, guarantee of g common sense. No. And you get a load of them starting up on Instagram as like, you know, nutrition experts when they don't have any nutrition qualifications. Oh, oh don't get her started. That's another podcast. <laughs> Well, that's all we've got time for. You can find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all of the podcasts, opinion pieces, videos. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. <laughs>